All right, well, today we're going to cover, hopefully, Daniel chapters 4 and 5. Pretty familiar turf, so it'll be, perhaps, for most of us, like visiting some old friends. The main point I want to make is the context of why this is here. Because remember, Daniel here is in a living in a foreign land. He's a Jew. He was born in Israel. And he's been deported. He's been deported by Nebuchadnezzar. And he was deported in a time period where everybody said, God, nobody's going to ever conquer us. We have God on our side. We have the temple. As long as we have the temple, we're safe. God sent the prophet Jeremiah, a contemporary of Daniel's, to say, no, you're not. God is God. He can do whatever He wants to. And what He's going to do is He's going to bring the Babylonians in to capture you if you don't actually honor your treaty with them. But if you trust in Egypt, you're going to get whacked. Of course, they don't listen to Jeremiah. And they do trust in Egypt, and they get whacked. So now their whole bubble's been burst of, I thought God was on our side. How could this happen? And the book of Daniel is telling you how it can happen. And it's going to be made, the point's going to be made over and over again today. When we ended chapter 2, in verse 46, we actually stopped with the historical overview uh, before we finished the actual passage here. And this is after Daniel had interpreted the dream about how history is going to unfurl. Again, God is in control of history is the point there. And it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So we see here Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of kings, he's head of gold in the statue. Uh, he actually bows prostrate before Daniel. So there's something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart that's different than Pharaoh's heart. It's different than most kings He's actually willing to humble himself. So there's a seed there, but the seed had not sprouted yet. So we go up to chapter 4. And this is written by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. So this is a letter from Nebuchadnezzar to all the peoples of the earth. Apparently, since it says, and languages, this letter was translated into all the languages of the earth and sent out and read to the peoples. So this is a little different than Paul's letters. Paul wrote letters to the Corinthians and he wrote letters to the Colossians to his church and then those letters were circulated and then they made it into the Bible. Well, this is the king, and he could actually impose that it be read to all the earth. And his letter is in the Bible. This could be set out, and it could be the epistle of Nebuchadnezzar. So this is his letter, and it is the holy word of God, which is really fascinating. Verse 2, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So there's the point right there. Okay, you want to know how could this have happened to us? How could God do this to us? This is how. God is in control of the whole world. He's in control of everyone. Nothing happens by accident. When you see something take place in the world, it's because God has either caused it or allowed it. God's in control. It's real clear. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at my rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. 
I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers came in, and I told them the dream, but they did not make known to me its interpretation. It's interesting that he had this experience with Daniel, and he still goes through this same machination again where Daniel's the last one in. I, I don't really understand that. Maybe he's kind of slow of learning. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belteshazzar according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. So here you have the first instance of what Nebuchadnezzar's understanding is about God. He says, my God, Belteshazzar is named after my God, but there's this holy God. And we're going to see that Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is just quite amazing. And it's a gospel testimony. And he has submitted himself to the holy God. So one of the questions I had was, can he say, I have my God, but there's a God over that God? Because that sounds like he has more than one God. So let's look at John 10.31. John 10.31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. So they're going to stone Jesus again. And Jesus answered them and said, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those do you stone me? Isn't that a great question? Jesus was not... A patsy, was he? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming, because I said, I'm the Son of God? And the quote that Jesus is making here is from a psalm. If you go look at that psalm, the gods there are men who are judges. Uh, presumably it's because when you take the office of a judge, you're doing a godlike thing. You're pronouncing life and death. You're pronouncing freedom versus captivity. That's God's purview. And so you're being a god. So he said, why are you getting me? The Bible says you are gods. So I don't think it's problematic that this culture that he has is still recognized. And in fact, it would make it more relevant to the people in the earth because that's the way everybody thought. So his point is, you got all this stuff going on, but there's a God that's above everything and all things. And I'm telling you about that God. It's really an amazing testimony. So he says, I told the dream before them, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I've seen and its interpretation. These were the visions in my head while I was on my bed. I was looking, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its height reached the heavens, and it could be seen to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. Now, I'll pause there for a minute. What is, who is this watcher? The book of Enoch calls angels watchers. Daniel's the only place that uses this term. But I think this idea of angels as watchers is validated in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 1.12, it says the angels long to look into things that were revealed to the prophets. And this look into term carries the notion of an archaeologist studying an artifact. So the angels are definitely watching us. They're studying us to understand God because we can live by faith. 
and they can't. So they're, they're studying us to understand that. So you've got a watcher who's watching what's going on on the earth. And he comes down from heaven and he cries aloud and says thus, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze. In the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts on the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from that of a man. Let him be given the heart of a beast. And let seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. So here again, what's the point here? What is the lesson that they want Nebuchadnezzar to know? Well, there are heavenly beings here. In this case, this is actually initiated by the watchers, the angels, who are the ones who work for God. And they want Nebuchadnezzar to learn a lesson, that the Most High is the one that put him in place. Now remember, who came in and captured Israel? Nebuchadnezzar did. If You can read the book of Habakkuk. And Habakkuk asks the question and says, God, there's injustice everywhere in Israel. Why aren't you doing something? And God says, I'm going to do something. It's going to be astonishing. I'm going to bring in the Chaldeans. I'm going to clean out Israel, and all this injustice is going to be taken care of. And Habakkuk says, really? That's justice? The Chaldeans are worse than what's going on in Israel. How is that justice? And God says, well, the righteous shall live by faith. The heart of the proud, now, I'm not going to deal with that. The heart of the humble is what I'm after. It's actually the theme verse of Romans. That's the answer to Habakkuk's question. And in that episode, what we see is that God is a God who uses everything on the earth for his purposes. And here he has used Nebuchadnezzar to chastise Israel. And now he's interacting with Nebuchadnezzar as a man who he wants to know because God wants to know all peoples. Remember Jonah. You know, Jonah's like, but if I tell them the gospel, they might repent and then you won't whack them. God says, yeah, that's kind of the point. So here he wants him to learn this lesson. And it's the same lesson he wants Israel to know. So you got whacked because, because I allowed it and I did it for your good. So verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. So in other words, he could kind of see that, uh, I guess this is not good news. And you know, we'll read it in a second here, but this king like, is an off with your head king. If he just says off with your head, then your head comes off. So you don't give bad news to King Nebuchadnezzar lightly. So he says, you're safe. Tell, just tell me what it says. You're okay. So Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord made the dream concern those who hate you, and its interpretation concerned your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all under the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown and reaches the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. Remember, he's the head of gold in the statue, the greatest of the kingdoms. And your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump. And roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. 
And this is the decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of the heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomever he chooses. And it's the same basic message as Revelation, isn't it? In times of difficulty and hardship, the message to God's people is, I got this under control. The only reason you see this terrible stuff happening is because I'm letting it happen, and I've got a purpose for it. Okay, so just trust me. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven seven times shall pass over you till you know the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you. After you come to know, heaven rules. Verse 27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now whose words are these? Nebuchadnezzar's words. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testifying of himself. I was warned to stop sinning. I was warned to get some righteousness. And I didn't listen. Isn't that amazing? This head of gold, this king of kings, is humbling himself, not, not just before Belteshazzar because he got a cool dream interpretation. He's humbling himself before all the peoples of the earth. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the twelve months. He was walking around the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling in my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? This hanging gardens of Babylon and the amazing city of Babylon, it was an ancient wonder of the world. And it was so magnificent that even the architect didn't get tired of it. You know, when you build something, it's usually pretty cool at first, and then it kind of wears on you and wants something bigger and better, right? But not this. He's walking around saying, this is amazing. I did this. Aren't I awesome? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. Until you know the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. You see what the message is? The Most High rules and chooses whoever he wants to to rule over the kingdom. So here's Nebuchadnezzar. You know, normally the kings are like, I have a divine right. I'm here because I'm better than everybody else. That's the normal claim, right? Nebuchadnezzar, no. I'm here because the Most High God put me here. It's really quite amazing. The epistle of Nebuchadnezzar. That very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and those who walk in pride he is able to put down. What a testimony, huh? 
I, I would have to say Nebuchadnezzar has to be considered one of the great men of the Bible. It's phenomenal. you got this pagan king who gets a lesson and turns around and says, I got it, and then testifies to the whole world, his entire kingdom, with his letter that puts him in place. I am under the Most High God. I had pride and I got wagged now. Now, what this seven times was, it was long enough to grow his hair like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. It could be seven months, I suppose. We actually have a son that's kind of done this, come to think of it. His hair is a lot like eagle's feathers. But um, I'm not sure how long it took him. But it was seven periods of time. But I don't know that that's particularly important. The word seven, you know, means uh, completion. has come to completion. So it was long enough. I think that's the main point. Now, chapter 4 is actually a setup for chapter 5. So now we're going to fast forward into a whole different realm of Babylon at the very end of Babylon. So now Nebuchadnezzar, we met Nebuchadnezzar the first year of his reign. And then whatever it was, I, I forgot to look, 40 years later or something. Now we're going we're gonna to see another episode where his grandson's now on the throne, Belshazzar. So chapter 5, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. It's important to remember here that uh, he's got his wives with him. That'll come into play in a second. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which has been in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. So you you get the picture here, right? You can understand his anxiety, can't you? You're in this big giant palace having this big party. You're uh, inebriated, and suddenly this hand comes in, unattached from anything else, and starts writing on the wall. I think I would be scared. And he's scared to the point where his knees start knocking together. That's really scared. The king cried aloud to bring in his astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Boy, this is a real pattern in this thing, isn't it? The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck. He shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The party kind of ground to a halt. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. Now remember, his wives were already there. So what this is probably is a queen from his father or grandfather's time. Somebody that knew some history here. So the queen came in and saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There's a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And the king Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, 
made him a chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. So it's interesting here, isn't it? The queen knows Daniel's the best of all these guys. She knew the lesson, but somehow it was lost on Belteshazzar. How that took place, we don't know. This is a very political setup. You know, it's the eunuchs are the ones who kind of run the place. Uh, we've seen that, when that, and we'll see again, that when there's an opportunity to bump somebody off that's ahead of you, they take advantage of that opportunity. It certainly would not be uh, unusual in a political setting for someone that was righteous like Daniel to get shoved aside and forgotten. There's not, nothing, nothing would be unusual about that whatsoever. New administrations usually come in and kind of want their own people from their own generation. Daniel's a really old guy by this point in time, 80, 85, something. He's pretty old. So it's not hard to envision how that could take place. And we'll see the result of casting aside the wisdom. So then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who's one of the captives of Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. I mean, now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give an interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read this writing, the writing, and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. See, I've got my knees knocking, but I'm still somebody. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and your rewards to another. This might be why he's not in power anymore. <laughs> Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever, whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and points it over at whoever he chooses. Do you see a theme here? But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You know... A lot of times, most of the time, God gives us an opportunity to learn stuff firsthand. But sometimes, the only chance we get is to learn it from someone else. In this case, you saw this and you didn't pay attention. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They've brought the vessels of his house before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you've not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him. 
And this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel upharshin. This is the interpretation of each word. Many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with a purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. This may be one of the shortest rules ever. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old that night. So now we go back to the last lesson. We've got the statue, head of gold, Babylon. Chest of silver, the Persian kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. We're still in the book of Daniel and now it's happened. The Medes and Persians come in. And Cyrus, the Persian, is going to be the one that gives the order for Israel to go back to, to be repopulated by the, by the Jews. And De Jeremiah's prophecy is going to become true. The, the prophecy that we're going to see Daniel fretting over in chapters to come. And it's happened. We're already in the second part of the statue. Now, we've got a little treat for you. Brandon is going to come, and he's going to talk to you about this event from the standpoint of Herodotus the Greek historian, because this event is something that's pretty well known in world history. So Brandon, why don't you come up and... Okay, so like Tim said, uh, this is Herodotus, who is a Greek historian. Um, he wrote about the, the Persian Wars. Uh, if you've seen the movie 300 or heard about the Battle of 300 at Thermopylae, that's what he's accounting as. So you have uh, King Xerxes coming over to attack Athens, Greece, and just subjugate it. And so Herodotus is um, this Greek historian who wrote about that event, but he did more than just merely write about the event as it pertained to Greece. He also studied Egypt and Persia, Babylon, several of the other empires during that time. And the event that you guys just heard in Daniel gives you kind of the inside story of what's happening at that party. What Herodotus gives you is... Uh, uh, an account of here's how Cyrus, uh, the, the Persian general, takes Babylon. Babylon was a city that was walled. It was, it was a huge city, had these massive walls, and was viewed as being impregnable. You couldn't take it. And you, you couldn't starve it out through famine because it had, had farms inside the city, and then it had the river going through the city as well. It just go through, the, through, the, through a hole in the, in the gate. And so... Even though Babylon's been under siege for a long time, they're, they're not worried about what, what the Persians are going to do. But Cyrus finds a way to, to take the city, and what he does is he diverts the river. He goes upstream and then diverts the river, uh, breaks some dams, and then has, has his troops come through once it gets about knee-high. So I'm going to read um, a brief account of, of what Herodotus writes about this. This is in Herodotus Book 1. 191 if you're interested. <laughs> when the Persians who were posted by the city saw the river Euphrates drop to about the length of mid-thigh for a man, they entered Babylon according to Cyrus's plan. Now, if the Babylonians had been able to surmise what Cyrus was doing, they could have allowed the Persians to enter the city by the riverbed and destroyed them utterly, for they could have locked all the little gates leading to the river by climbing onto the ramparts extending along the riverbanks, would have caught the Persians there as if they had 
they had been so many fish in a barrel. But as it was, the Persians' maneuver took them by surprise. Because the city was so immense, its inhabitants say that when the Babylonians at the edge of the city was taken, those Babylonians who lived in the center were unaware of their capture because they happened to be celebrating a feast at that moment. And so they sang and danced and enjoyed themselves until they found out all too well what had happened. This is how Babylon fell to the Persians. And so, yeah, that's a, yeah, it's just a really cool substantiation of how world history, Herodotus' writing from a Greek perspective, just validates completely what, what Daniel tells you happens in chapter 5. Awesome. Thank you, Brandon. So now we go back to the statue from last lesson. The, the next kingdom is the Greeks. The battle between the Persians and the Greeks was ep- epic, really. The Battle of Marathon, and then you got the 300, and then the, the big battle between Xerxes and, and Athenians. Uh, well, actually, the Greek League. And it's really the, the time when the axis of the world shifted from the east to the west. This happens in Greek. And we've already read what was going to happen in, in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Because why? Because the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. So now, you're a Jew. You've been ripped out of your home. You've gone to a foreign land. They told you that God wouldn't do this. He did do it. You want an explanation? Here it is. The explanation is the people that wouldn't listen to Jeremiah were lying to you. They are false prophets. And the Bible is always true. And it's happening just like God said it would happen. Daniel was, was a book that the liberal theologians said uh, was written in two pieces. You know, all the prophetic stuff was written you know, after the prophecies already happened. And the historical stuff was written in the time period. And the reason they said that is because it was so deadly accurate. And they come with the premise of there's no God and there's no real prophecy so that can't be true, so here, therefore it was two different books, and, and they claim it was true. Uh, but then the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And now they just pretty much don't talk about Daniel anymore, from what I can tell. And if you go to Israel today, it's, it's fascinating because of the Arabs who want Israel eliminated. The Arabs claim, we were here first. And the Jews claim, no, 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 this is our historical homeland. So the Jews are excavating historical stuff right and left to prove that this is their historical homeland. And when they want to excavate under something that is controlled by Arabs, the Arabs will filibuster it. They won't let it be excavated. If an Arab owns some land that's got some ripe excavation stuff under it and wants to cash in on that, the Jews will pay them huge amounts of money. But they basically have to go into a witness protection program. Because if you sell to a Jew and it gets excavated and that shows that it's their historical homeland, they'll slit your throat. So we still have the massive battle going on, but there's all this just massive amount of historical validation of the Bible. It's, it's become actually overwhelming, I, I would say. Uh, I've been, now been to Israel four different times. And, you know, God does mask himself where if you want to disbelieve his word, you can because his presence is not compelling you to bow your knee in this life like it will in the new earth. You know, when he's, his presence is so bright, you don't need the sun. We saw that in Revelation. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But in this time, if you want to disbelieve, you're not compelled to believe. But if you're paying attention at all and you're willing to just open your eyes, it's overwhelming that God is God and he puts whoever he wants to in charge. Now, 
He can also take somebody that has a donkey heart and give them a man heart. And he can take someone with a man heart and give them a donkey heart. And you should take great comfort in that <laughs> as you watch things go around the world. And my prayer for our current situation is that we will have a Nebuchadnezzar moment in our history when God takes very ordinary men and turns them into his servants. And he can do it. But God can also use bad leadership to judge us. And so whatever we see, our appropriate response is, God's in control, and our job is to be a faithful witness. Same message as, as Revelation, and has been throughout the Scripture. Pretty cool, isn't it? God, thank you for your word and your testimony uh, that you validated through history that just shows you reign in the affairs of men. And as we see things spinning out of control in ways that we would prefer not to see happening, we just ask that you would intervene in our world to bring peace and hope. Bring it through us, Lord, that we would shine a light and be the salt in this world, the thing you assigned us to do. And help us as citizens in a country where, where we have say-so about what happens and who lives and who dies. We have the Nebuchadnezzar station. Help us stand for what's true and what's right and to do our citizen jobs. But more importantly, God, we pray that your spirit would would reign and you would lift up uh, a revival in our land and you would bring your spirit on the people of this land that we may turn back to you. In uh, Jesus' name, amen.